This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. You're listening to the Fish Untamed podcast, your home for fly fishing in the backcountry. All right, welcome to episode number 29 of the Fish Untamed podcast. Today I sat down with a buddy of mine, Jason, to talk all things streamer fishing. Jason fishes streamers more than probably anybody else I know. Um, And not only does he catch some big fish on them, but he'll also throw smaller streamers for things like brook trout and other small stream fish. So he's got a pretty well-rounded skill set when it comes to him. It's, It's just his preferred way of fishing. So he's gotten really experienced in lots of different situations, lots of different species, um, and lots of different techniques. And although I fish streamers occasionally, I definitely wouldn't call myself uh, very experienced in streamer fishing. Um, I've had success with a handful of techniques and I tend to stick to those. Uh, and so it's a little bit outside my wheelhouse, which is why I wanted to talk to Jason, because um, I knew I could pick his brain on, on all kinds of different situations and scenarios, and he'd have an answer for every single one. Uh, and we also got into mousing a little bit at the end, which is another kind of facet of fly fishing that I've you know, participated in a handful of times, but again, I would not call myself very experienced at all. And uh, Jason is is pretty experienced in this world as well. So if you're like me and feel you know really comfortable with dry and nymph fishing, but maybe you feel a little bit outside your comfort zone with something like streamers, uh, I think you'll find a lot of value in this episode and hopefully come away feeling a little more equipped to maybe give these techniques a try next time you go out. So that said, we can jump right in. I'm not going to bring it up because you said not to, but I do want to quickly ask. I think it's hilarious <laughs> that you requested not to talk about Tinkara. <laughs> yeah, well, I couldn't think of anything else to, like, not want to talk about. I'm like, well, I don't really like Tinkara, so I'll just put that there. <laughs> well, I have that in there. I mean, like, 
you know, for, for that as well. But normally it's like, if I'm talking to someone who works at a company, it's like, they don't want to talk about their competitors or, um, you know, like if, if we're talking about some sort of conservation issue and they're like, Hey, we don't want to get political or something like that. Yeah. I just think it's funny that you're like, yeah, screw Tenkara. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't want to talk about just, it. Uh, yeah. I almost <laughs> on that hill. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. More, uh, more, more just being funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, I figured we could talk about Tenkara the whole time today, if that's okay with you. Oh, well, I might sign off. <laughs> <laughs> Tenkara streamer fishing. Yeah, well, that's, people do that. I don't, I don't know why they would, but yeah. Teach their own. So exactly. I didn't, I didn't realize until I was looking at that form you filled out that you'd only been fly fishing for five years. I kind of assumed yeah. that, that was like something you grew up with. No, I mean, I grew up uh, spin fishing and spin fishing for trout too for like, you know, three, four years and really got into that and then transitioned over to fly fishing. So it's kind of kind of a newer thing still. What uh, caused you to make the transition? Um, well, I had like, I had built a fly rod back in high school and um, my first year in college, like I hadn't really used it much and I had started trout fishing quite a bit and thought I'd give it a shot and, you know on the challenge would be pretty fun but i think i i just uh i've seen a lot on like the internet and like i used to follow a lot of blogs and stuff um kind of looking up on you know tactics people are using my area in like minnesota and like you know just reading up on stuff like that and i saw a lot of guys are fly fishing and i thought it looked pretty cool so you already built a rod before you even knew how to use it yep <laughs> yep and it took me like a year to use it I've heard a couple people with stories like that. Either they like built a rod or they tied flies or something. And then they were just like, well, I should probably pick this up if I'm going to be doing the arts and crafts portion of it. <laughs> yep. Yep. Should probably try it. <laughs> I don't know. We, so I had a, I had a class my senior year. Um, it was like an outdoor rec class and it, rod building was a part of it. And I decided to build a fly rod and be the only kid to do that. Just, you know, do something different. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of, yeah, a part of it, but then getting myself to pick it up and actually use it was another battle. <laughs> That's so. hilarious because I feel like you, you fish more than most people I know, like by a significant margin. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I do too. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, especially being here in Rochester is kind of nice. I can, I can go as much as I want really. Now did you go uh, that much before you picked up fly fishing or was that something that like spurred something in you where you're like, I got to do this all the time once you switched over? Um, so right before I got into fly fishing, I started going more, which more meant, you know, maybe once a week or, you know, a couple times a week. And then I think it wasn't until I'd been fly fishing for like, you know, probably a solid year that I started really stepping it up and, you know, going two, three, four times a week. Which is hilarious because most people would say that once a week is like quite a bit, you know, like most people <laughs> yeah. are doing once a week. They might be doing once a month or something like that. And when I do it once a week, I'm like, oh, I'm doing well. I keep it up with it. <laughs> Going out quite a bit. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, I, I, I think about that too. And it's like, you know, some of these, some of these old timers that have been fishing for like 50 years and, you know, maybe going a few times a summer or whatever. It's like, I've, I've probably already, you know, seen as much as they've seen in just a couple of years here, just because I go like every day. I feel like it's the same with skiing. Yeah. People are like, I've been skiing for 20 years and it's like the one like long weekend they take every year to go skiing. It's like, yep. well, yeah, I mean, you've done a total of like 30 days over the, <laughs> over the course of 20 years, but you know, yep. Yep. Tough to compare. <laughs> yeah, I know. 
Um, so did you, were you like into streamers that much from, from the moment you started? Was that something that caught your attention or is that more of a recent thing? Um, it, it kind of started my attention from the get go. Um, the first fish I ever caught in a fly rod was on a wood bugger. Um, but that's, that's a lot of people too. Um, so I wouldn't say like initially it was like all streamers, like gung-ho on streamers. So I definitely, you know, got into nymphing too, just cause it was a little bit easier to kind of figure that out as well. But um yeah again after probably about a year of, of fly fishing um i found a streamer pattern that i um tried out and really ended up liking fishing quite a bit and i saw how i started catching bigger fish um and just saw kind of the aggressive nature of trout and really enjoyed that uh and then it just kind of went from there and now uh now it's what i do you know almost all the time um unless like circumstances say that i shouldn't but yeah, I was gonna ask um, like what it is about streamers, but is is that still it? The you just like the aggressive takes and kind of triggering that like predatory instinct versus kind of a more passive approach that I feel like you could argue a like a dry fly or a nymph is. Yeah, yeah, I'd say it's that, and just if you're targeting bigger fish, you know, maybe not on like a, a tailwater in Colorado, um, but for the most part, you know, bigger fly, bigger fish, and you kind of get to a point in fly fishing where you know, I mean, not getting sick of little fish, but you start seeing a lot of people catch bigger fish and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's definitely a really good, uh, really good fly or, you know, way to fly fish that you can target bigger fish and have a higher chance in my opinion of catching bigger fish. Um, but yeah, the, uh, you know, the aggressive strike part of it too is, is really cool, especially when it's really visual. Well, it's funny you say that because, and I, I don't want to diminish any of the fish you catch, obviously, because you're catching way more fish than, than I am. <laughs> but like, you catch a lot of small fish on streamers too, like shockingly small for what you're throwing sometimes. Um, oh yeah. And I think it's kind of fun. Like you'll, you'll show a fish that has a streamer, like half the size of it hanging out of its mouth. Um, yeah. And it's, it's going to be kind of fun in itself. Just seeing, seeing the uh, really confident little fish going after something <laughs> that they clearly can't eat. <laughs> Oh yeah. Well, I, I think most people don't think of trout as being as aggressive as they are. Um, you know, even I was out yesterday and I was throwing uh, probably a four inch fly and I caught a couple of fish that were like eight to 10 inches and you just wouldn't think a, a fish that size would go after a, a fly that's literally half its size. Um, mm-hmm. And I've had it even, you know, like throwing an eight inch fly and catching like a 10 inch fish. So they, they're, they're a really aggressive fish. And I don't know if it's always that they're eating or if it's just like kind of an aggression thing, but yeah, it's, it's crazy what those little trout will do. <laughs> do you ever, uh, throw like, so I know you like, do you, well, I guess I'll start there. Do you like using streamers, um, just for the sake of it? Or do you usually think that it's actually the best approach? Like if you went somewhere and the, like the clear, the clear best approach would be to throw a nymph for a dry fly. Would you still choose the streamer just for the experience of it? Or do you um, choose what's best and it just so happens that where you're fishing, usually a streamer is kind of the best choice? Um, I think it really depends on the water. Okay. Um, and kind of like I brought up the example of like fishing tailwaters in, uh, you know, Colorado or Montana or whatever. Those, those can be really picky fish and fish that see a lot of flies. And a lot of times streamers wouldn't be the best thing there. And I probably wouldn't go out there and throw streamers. Um, you know, maybe if I was fishing it in like the morning or like evening, kind of low light conditions. But overall, I'd say I I definitely try streamers out 
a lot of times at new places that I've never been to and just kind of seeing if maybe that would be the best thing for the day there. Um, and then switching up to like nymphing or throwing dries after that. Um, if you would have asked me that question before I ever came out to Colorado, I would have just thrown streamers no matter what. Okay. Would you, would you um, opt to go somewhere else if, if the option were there to like go, go somewhere else where you could throw streamers more effectively um, or fish a tailwater? Would you be like, I'll just pass on the tailwater? Yeah, I'd probably just pass on the tailwater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, leave the crowds and go, uh, you know, go chuck some meat around. That's fair. Sounds fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I guess where I was going next with that question was if you're, if you're somewhere that, uh, has mostly small fish, like, you know, there's always, there's always the chance that some larger fish is hiding in a hole somewhere, but you know, you kind of know the general size of, of what you're fishing for when you're out, especially in like the smaller streams, do you size down, um, kind of to match the fish or do you keep, do you keep the streamer like optimistically large in hopes that you catch like the one large fish that's in there? um i think that that you know really depends again uh okay. especially on conditions so you know if you're fishing a stream you know bright sunny day or something like that i'm probably not going to be throwing streamers for for little fish um if the fish are you know if it's low light or you know cloudy or whatever and it's like a good streamer day i'd, I'd throw a smaller streamer um just because it's again it's fun to fish with you can cover a lot of water see a lot of different country if it, especially if it's like a new creek or something like that um but like here in uh here in minnesota and the driftless like we have a re- lot of really small trout streams mm-hmm. um that have like scary big fish <laughs> in some <laughs> of the the little tiny creeks so you kind of wean through the the small fish and pick out you know maybe the one big fish a day um that you wouldn't catch if you're just nymphing or something because that fish is going to be a little bit more aggressive if you're still throwing like a bigger pattern sure so what do you yeah. what do you consider like a good streamer day conditions um conditions wise probably like an overcast day um usually fishing it morning or evening midday is a little bit tougher um but yeah overcast if the water has a little bit of stain to it that always helps um and you know kind of the spring or fall is a really good like streamer time too even if uh conditions are really good sometimes in the summer or winter it can be a little tougher um but yeah overcast um a little bit of stain to the water is usually a good uh, good combination for a good streamer day. What's the uh, theory behind the overcast day? Um, so I think the theory behind that is trout get more confident when they have a little bit more uh, a more overhead cover. Um, on a bright sunny day, I feel like um, trout just you know it's easier to see trout, so predators are you know can, they can be easily more easily spotted by predators. Um, so they're not quite as aggressive. They're kind of hanging lower in the water column unless, you know, there's some kind of hatch going on. Um, so on an overcast day, um, fish are more willing to chase flies and, um, kind of more willing to come out of their hiding spots. Okay. Um, what about color? Like, do you, uh, I think I saw you post something a while back about how you, um, don't, well, at least for that time, you didn't, you didn't, uh, follow like the no white streamers, no white flies rule. (laughs) Um, and you were catching yeah. fish on it. Like what, what's your, um, I guess, color plan when it comes to choosing what color you're using? Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of times I like throwing kind of like a lighter scheme, uh, streamer, like midday when it's a little bit brighter out and then darker when it's uh more low light conditions, but kind of like that one day it's, 
it's all over the place. Like that day I was not expecting to do well on like a white streamer, but fish were just all over it a lot more than a, a darker streamer. And it was like, it was kind of one of those like streamer overcast kind of days that I was expecting like a big black or brown fly would have worked super well, but white was doing it. So, you know, there's kind of the, the rules where it's like, you know, like I said earlier, like a white fly on a bright day and like a dark fly on a dark day. But I honestly, it, it, some days you could throw anything out there and they'll eat it. Other days you could throw anything and they won't touch it. And it's all over the place. You just kind of got to experiment and yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's been coming up recently that um, like fish don't read the rule book. There, there's so many people out there who are like, oh, you can never use this. You can never use that or that won't work. And it's like, well, that's odd because I tried that and it worked. You know, it might not be the best situation all the time, or there might be general rules of thumb that are, are rules of thumb for a reason. But um, I feel like there's very few things in fishing that can be said with definite certainty. And that's one of them. Yeah. It's tough to have those set rules. Cause like you said, fish will break those rules. <laughs> right. Yeah. Do you ever um, dead drift your streamers? Like what, what, uh, techniques are you usually, are you swinging them? Are you dead drifting them? What are you doing? Um, so that, that, that can come down to kind of conditions, time of day seasons. Um, uh, so like dead drifting streamers, I'll do that a lot in the winter, um, when fish are a little bit more lethargic. Um, is that under an indicator then? No, usually just, uh, you know, I'm just kind of throwing a a floating line and casting upstream and kind of using the the end of my, my fly line almost as an indicator. Um, and you actually see it like shoot forward when a fish Mm -hmm. will take it. Yep. So that'd be, yeah, that'd be one time that I would like dead drift a streamer. Um, a lot of times when I'm dead drifting it, I'm, I'm getting a little twitches too. just give it a little bit of life. Um, and then like right now, um, in Minnesota, it's like spring stuff's warming up and you know, there's days when you can't cast and strip the fly in fast enough, the fish are just right on top of it. Um, so that's, you know, kind of a total different, uh, approach than the dead drift. Um, but a lot of times when I'm like, you know, going out for a day, um, I kind of try a variety of stuff. Like when I'm, when I'm first starting fishing and usually there's, there's one, you know, one way of presenting the fly to the fish that seems to work really well that day. Um, and then you kind of stick with that and things might change throughout the day too, but yeah, kind of figuring out that, uh, that presentation and it can change day to day, like one day, you know, again, like I said, stripping as fast as you can the other day, you know, you just got a dead drifted, put it right in front of your face. Sure. That seems like the name of the game really is. I mean, yep. just be adaptable. When you're dead drifting, mm-hmm. are you usually using uh, like an unweighted streamer to keep it from just like diving straight to the bottom and bouncing off the rocks? Or would you use the same thing that you'd use on any other like swinging or stripping? Um, probably use the same thing or actually um, something weighted even more. Oh, really? Um, yeah, because kind of like I said, like in the winter when fish are a little more lethargic, they're kind of sitting in the deep holes and a lot of times they're sitting really close to the bottom. So you want to you want to dead drift a streamer as close to the fish as you can. And so you're going to be bouncing on the bottom? Yep, yep. Okay. Down at the bottom or right near the bottom. Okay. That makes sense. So, yeah. I, I, I guess I was just picturing, you know, getting hung up there with enough weight, but I guess as long as you don't actually get hung up on a log or anything, it'd probably just bounce along and, and look vulnerable. Yep. yep. And you know, it, it's not a bad thing if you are hanging up on the bottom because that's where the fish are kind of like with nymphing. Um, but some of my, uh, some of my favorite streamers, um, they're kind of more of a, a jig streamer. So the, the hook faces up, so they will bounce off a lot. 
um, a lot more than, you know, uh, a different streamer that has the hook facing down. They tend to snag up a lot more. What what uh, jig streamers are you using? Um, so my favorite one is called a Fricks Fix. It's kind of a kind of a local Minnesota um, fly that was tied up by a guy that uh, um, it's yeah it's basically a wood bugger um, tied on a jig hook um, with really heavy dumbbell eyes in front. Is that what and you then, mentioned uh, the other day? Got, probably yeah. That you were tied yeah, up. I've been, uh, Yep, okay. I've been tying up a ton of them for people, and I'm using a ton of them myself. But yeah, it's just a beefed up, uh, beefed up boy bugger with like uh, some silly legs coming off the sides and a lot of flash. Um, but I think the jig nature of it really helps out a lot, out a lot, like get down and um, just jigging motion for a lot of trout. I feel like they they don't see that a whole lot with most flies. Mm-hmm. It really triggers an aggressive, aggressive strike uh are you still using a lot of like the basics like woolly buggers and stuff like that um not really um no i probably haven't thrown a woolly bugger in a couple years (laughs) (laughs) and i mean nothing against them they work super well uh i just i just think you know some of the patterns that i've been using are just a little bit added to a woolly bugger you know so you can go out and throw a woolly bugger any day and probably do pretty well um but i'm looking for something probably a little bit bigger a little bit flashier something with like you know, maybe some legs put in there, um, just giving it more of a profile, giving it some more life to it. Okay. So when you're, when you're going out, how do you determine what it is you're going to use that day? Cause for example, if you're, if you're either nymphing or using dry flies, you're trying to match something pretty specific. Um, even if you don't yep. know exactly what's hatching or something like that, you can, you can at least say, okay, well this time of year, you know, BWOs might be coming off. So I'll, throw a bwo nymph on there or something like there's some sort of logic when you're pulling your flies out um but unless you're fishing somewhere where you're saying like okay there's a ton of sculpins here so i'm gonna put a sculpin on like what what's uh directing you when you're when you're choosing what type of stream you're gonna throw on yeah i definitely would say forge base of you know the the stream or river that you're fishing um that can dictate the size um the color and kind of the motion of the streamer you're looking for um but also like you know what the body of water is like um so you know if it's a really big wide river i'm looking for something that's going to be kind of swimming more than jigging um and then if it's like a a tight like deep river i want something that's going to get down really fast so i'd be looking for more of like a, a jiggy type uh streamer um yeah so on the, uh, I assume well, at least what, most of what I see fishing is, is fairly small water. I'd say, is that, is that accurate? Yeah. Um, it, so like right now in Minnesota and, you know, kind of the Midwest, it's a lot of smaller creeks. Um, it's a lot of, a lot of small creeks that have like big plunge pools. Okay. So like the water goes from, you know, being like two feet wide and kind of fast riffly to like a pool that's maybe 10 feet wide and like four feet deep. So those transition zones is what I'm trying to hit a lot. And that's why I kind of like throwing like that jig streamer to get down really fast. Cause those, a lot of times the big fish is going to be sitting right up at the head of the pool where the fast water's coming in. So, okay. Yeah, pretty small water. Okay. Yeah. That was going to be kind of my next question is in those, in those smaller creeks, are you kind of doing the equivalent of almost like streamer dapping where you're just kind of throwing it down and then like jing it up and down right in front of you since I feel like most of what I see you fishing is not large enough that I would expect like a long cast and a long drift or anything like that. 
Yeah, so I definitely I definitely do that too. Um, you know, almost like high sticking a, a nymph. You know, you can high stick a streamer through a spot mm-hmm. and just kind of jig it through, especially with the the heavier um, heavier flies. Uh, but it, that's you know, if you can get to the spot and not spook the fish, or you know, if it's like low light conditions. But a lot of times um, they're crystal clear creeks, so the water's running you know gin clear, and mm-hmm. you got to kind of make a, a cast from you know, even 10, 15 feet away, you still got to, you know, cast it instead of really kind of like high stick jig it. Sure. But uh, yeah, another one of my, my favorite ways to fish like a streamer is I have a 11 foot rod, um, 11 foot three weight. So it's a little bit lighter. It's got a nice light tip, but it has a pretty, pretty heavy butt section to it. And with that, I can really high stick a nymph through a, through a run or through a deep spot. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And so is that your go-to for like what what's your go-to rod for the different types of water you fish so um something like a small creek versus out here when you were fishing the colorado a lot like what what's your setup like um so like small creeks um usually like a nine foot five weight um throwing with like a usually with the floating line um and then uh out west um if it's a if it's a big wide river i like throwing a seven weight uh, with the sinking line and throwing some you know, you can, I can kind of throw either like a kind of a midway sinking fly with the with the sinking line, so the, the the line actually takes it down, or you can throw a floating line and um, throw a jigging fly. But um, in sections where you know these big rivers are really deep, where it's like faster currents um, in deep water, I like actually throwing that that eleven foot three weight and uh, letting uh, letting the fly sink really deep, and then kind of either stripping them through or jigging them through. Now, are you using a full sinking line in that situation or a sink tip? Um, with the seven weight, uh, usually a sink tip. Um, okay. It, I don't know. Unless you're like in a drift boat, it's kind of tough to throw like a full sinking line, in my opinion. Um, it just brings the flies so deep, um, mm-hmm. which is good for certain applications. Um, but then uh, with my three weight, I'm just throwing, I'm usually pretty long leader on that. I got like a 12 to 14 foot leader and i'm letting the flies sink really deep what's the uh what's the reasoning behind the long leader um so with the long rod having a long leader again allows those flies to sink really deep so if you uh if you're thinking about trying to get deep with a sinking line the the sinking line itself is a bigger diameter um, than a tippet is so in a fast river um it's going to be tougher for it to actually you know, use its weight to get down because mm-hmm. the, the okay. water is going to be pulling it through. But if you have just like a pretty small tippet, like I'll throw streamers on like a, you know, three, four X tippet and that just sinks right through the water, cuts right through the water. And then the water pushing through doesn't like grab it quite as much and pull it. So you can actually get it deeper using that than the full sink line. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess most of the, I don't fish a ton of big water usually. Um, so I've, I've usually used fairly short leader on my streamers but that's mostly just because i'm fishing smaller smaller creeks and i'm not really i'm not even using a sinking or a sink tip line i'm just throwing out my my floating line you know the same way i would on any other with any other fly um i've had decent luck with that but i don't i don't actually fish many streamers um you're actually the you're probably the most uh, streamer guy i know (laughs) and uh, me and most of my friends don't don't use it too much but good thing to add to the arsenal you know try it out every now and then and you'll be surprised 
I mean, if so, I've I've really enjoyed what I've done, and I think the reasoning behind that is that like when I got started in just like spin fishing, I really like the idea of pulling something back in and having the fish pull back when it takes it. Like growing up, I never I never had much experience like setting the hook because the fish would always set the hook on themselves. I was like fishing yeah. for smallmouth bass on a lure. I'm pulling one way, they grab it and run the other way. There's no need to set the hook, um, and I really like that more active. I guess, engagement with the fish. Um, and I, I never really was drawn to like a worm on a bobber. Um, but with fly yeah. fishing, I like that there's, even with drives and nymphs, there's more of a, an active participation in it. Cause you're still, you're still, you know, working the line and things like that. But uh, I would like to get better at streamers just to go back to that kind of basic, you're just being a bait fish through the water and a fish is going to chase it down and eat it. Like, it seems like a very, yeah. um, I don't know. I don't mean basic in a bad way, but basic, just you're getting back down to the fundamentals of watching a fish chase down something through predatory instinct. Exactly. Yeah, no. And I mean, with the streamer, you're like, you're working it, like everything you're doing with your hands, like really, um, you know, is shown in the fly itself. And then when you get that connection with the fish, um, you know, you get that pull back a lot more than you do if you just like kind of watch an indicator rig, you're watching a dry. It's pretty cool. I think it's almost it's almost like an easier way to jump from like uh for like a spin fisherman to jump into fly fishing would be to start throwing some streamers because it's pretty similar to like you know throwing a little spinner. Yeah, it kind of makes sense. I I think the act of throwing something out and you know even though you're probably using your hands in the case of fly fishing like reeling it back in, that's that's yep. a very easily explained idea. Like you're taking this this you know for lack of a better word, bait, you know, it's not bait, but throwing the yeah. bait out and you're pulling it back in and the fish are eating it versus trying to explain to somebody why the dry fly has to be dead drifted and it can't sink down yeah. or it might, they might not want it. It's, it's a more of a foreign concept, I think, to switch to something like nymphs or dries, which are pretty different from most things you're going to be doing with a spin rod. But a streamer is kind of yeah. that halfway point of you're doing the same thing, but you happen to be pulling it in with your hand and, instead of a reel or, you know. Yeah, yeah, like you said, a lot more active and, you know, you're the one kind of giving it that motion and stuff right. instead of like a dry fly or an where It's like, oh, cast it out there and then you're just going to watch it. Right. And mend your line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, when you're uh, using your seven weight, is that for the size of the fish or the size of the fly that uh, the reasoning behind that? Um, usually the size of the fish and the size of like the river I'm fishing. Okay. Um, so throwing like a you know, even like I got like a 15 foot sink tip line, um, with, a you know, four or five inch fly. Um, sometimes I'll even like put a, you know, a split shot in front of the fly just to get it down that much. But that's, that's a pretty big rig to throw on like a five weight or, you know, something smaller than a seven weight. Sure. And then the fish themselves, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, a, an 18 plus inch fish that'll put up a, a good fight. It's a little bit easier to, to bring them in without playing them out too much um bringing them in on a seven weight instead of something lesser and where uh where on the tippet are you putting your your split shot how far up from the um i usually put it pretty close you know maybe two three inches above the fly i've, I've read a lot of different stuff about oh you're supposed to put it you know like no less than a foot in front of the fly or whatever i don't know i'm kind of if it if I put a splitcher down there and it slides all the way down to the you know to the knot like I'm not usually too worried about it 
it might make the motion look a little bit different. But a lot of times those fish are, you know, they're so aggressive. They're, they don't really care what's, what's out in front of it. You're already using a 15 pound tippet and, right. <laughs> you know, big ugly fly anyways. That's another one of those things that I feel like people act like they are the gatekeeper to like where you can put a split shot. And uh, like, I've, I've seen people scoff at the idea of using a split shot on like a dry dropper. And I use split shot nearly every time oh, yeah. I use a dry dropper. I'm like, well, I want to get my nymph down. Um, I'm just yeah. gonna use a bigger dry to keep it up. Um, so that's another one of those things I think people make rules about. And I'm like, the, if the fish is scared off by a split shot, I'm pretty sure it would have been scared off by the uh, hook hanging out of the fly's butt and the <laughs> thick butt section of tippet and the fly line that's floating right in front of your in front of your fly. So. Yep. And my terrible cast. And... Right. <laughs> All the other things I'm doing wrong. But but then yep. it's just a split shot. It's like, nope, that's the deal breaker right there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I don't think it usually happens like that. No. Yeah. Um, uh, what, do you, what are your thoughts on the idea of streamer season? Because I know you mentioned that you do use them, you, or you like using them more in uh, the spring and fall. But yeah. I, but you also use them year-round. Like, I, I know yeah. that you so, like... <laughs> there's, there's streamer season, quote-unquote. Like, do you... How much weight do you put into that, into the idea that there's a season for streamers? Um, I think you definitely notice that you either have more fish active on streamers or you catch more fish on streamers, you know, kind of in that spring-fall time. Uh, but there's always, you know, the random days in the summer and random days in the winter when you just have phenomenal streamer days that are just as good, if not better than the days you have in the fall and spring and vice versa. So, uh, you know, rules are meant to be broken. Right. <laughs> I think, uh, I think any day you go out there could be a really good streamer day. And for me personally, I, you know, almost every day I'm out, um, I'm definitely at least trying streamers. I've kind of gotten to the point where now I, kind of use more of everything but there was a time when all I ever threw was streamers and it I don't know doing that I, I hardly got skunked so at least some fish were still active on a streamer even on like a bright sunny day when they shouldn't work that well do you fish them a little differently during quote-unquote streamer season just like because you know the fish are supposed to be a little bit more aggressive and I assume that that's a little bit different than if you're trying them in the winter yeah um I, I think it depends um you know, I think in the fall, I like to size up on my my um, streamers uh, okay. just because the fish, you know, they're really packing on the food um, either before spawn or, you know, before it starts getting too cold and stuff like that. In the spring, it seems more like they're really just aggressive on a streamer and I'll throw kind of a, well, like a medium-sized streamer. It seems like the big streamers don't work quite as well in the spring. So there's there's that. And then like winter kind of anything goes <laughs> right some days they want something really big some days it's something small when when they are active on them so yeah that's fair in the spring is that the idea that they don't want uh larger streamers is is that just because it's they're kind of coming out of that lethargic state from the winter and they're just not fully ramped up yet versus the fall where they're coming out of summer and the water's finally starting to cool down and they're you know they're eager to feed before winter sets in like is that the idea behind that or I, it could be I really I really don't know honestly um it's just something like I've noticed and I've talked to other guys and they've they've said kind of the same thing that okay usually kind of that that smaller to medium-sized streamer in the spring seems to work a little bit better than the big meaty stuff 
I like things like that where you don't really know. Well, I mean, I do like knowing why things happen. I like, I like feeling in control, but I also yep. like the idea of just knowing something because you've experimented with it enough. I, I kind of feel that way yep. about when I'm trying to explain to someone what like fishy water is. And it's like, some things are really easy to explain. You can be like, there's a seam right there or like right after this riffle, there's a nice deep run. And so there's going to be a fish sitting in there. But sometimes you just see an area and you're like, there's a fish there. And I don't really know yep. why, but I know there is. And it's just like a really satisfying feeling to be like, the only reason I know this is because I've done this hundreds of times and have, yep. you know, gotten this under my belt. And I just really like that. It's like a very wholesome feeling. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't really need a reason. No, just the way it is. <laughs> yeah, there's some things that are just like better left unknown. I I don't want to have to have like a logical explanation behind everything. Yep, yep, exactly. <laughs> I feel the same way about purple flies. I really like using purple flies, oh, yeah. and I like nothing that I've ever seen in nature is purple, but they seem to like it, and I yeah. I like that about them. Yeah, I've heard people say, "Oh, it's in the UV spectrum" or something like that, but uh, it just works. Stop ruining it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> reason. Yeah. <laughs> Rules are meant to be broken. <laughs> uh, so I saw that you also wanted to talk about mousing, which I'm totally yeah. down to talk about because that's another thing. I have even less experience mousing than I do throwing streamers. Um, have you ever moused? I have moused like twice, I think, okay. and neither was a proper a proper session. You know, at night yeah. in a like a meadow creek, it's it's been in uh, ponds in the middle of the day. Um, okay. I yeah. think I've gotten like one or two strikes, but it just like hasn't hasn't come up for me um i think where where i am compared to where i'd want to go mousing just hasn't um been ideal and i haven't yeah. i haven't made the effort to go do it and i think i want to have somebody go with me to do it for the first time so i'm for the first proper time so i'm not yeah. just out there flailing around um, makes you feel safer too at night in the mountains <laughs> yeah yeah i should i should have gotten it out of my system when i was up in estes because that's probably the ideal time um but yeah do you get it do you get to do it much um yeah i haven't been doing it too much right now um kind of mousing time starts when the water starts warming up a little bit and you know there's not really snow on the ground i did actually go uh, about a week ago and it was okay i i had two fish on landed one um two beavers scared the crap out of me and kind of ruined a couple of the holes I was looking to fish, but were they slapping yeah. with their tails? Slapping with their tails. Yeah. Especially in the one spot I really wanted to go to, I spent, you know, quite a bit of time like kind of sneaking in. So like the moon was out and I didn't want to like make my reflection or anything. And then I get down there and just bam, just that tail <laughs> it slap. It's terrifying. like, Oh, there it goes. <laughs> it is. Oh, middle of the night when it's super quiet and then all of a sudden that goes off. It's, yeah, it's a little freaky. <laughs> a quick tangent for you. Uh, when I was in, I guess it was my freshman year of college, uh, when I was on break, I did. I came up with this um, trip where I was going to paddle way upstream from where I normally uh, kayak downstream. And I was going to just camp out on an island. I didn't have a tent or anything. I was just going to make a bed of ferns and just sleep there on the island uh, until the next morning I was going to come back. And I did that and I built this little fire and I fell asleep next to it on a bed of ferns. And in the middle of the night, a beaver slapped its tail right next to where I was sleeping. And I would, I thought a bear was like coming through the, through the water toward me. And I was freaking out. I was like running around this Island in the middle of the middle of the night. I had nothing with me. And uh, I finally shined my flashlight out and just see this beaver staring at me. And I had, I'd never even known that that was a thing that they do. So I didn't understand yeah. where the sound was coming from because I hadn't seen it like slap its tail down. 
Um, but since then I've heard it a couple other times and now I'm like, I know what this is, but it's <laughs> really freaky when you've never had it happen before. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, it sounds like, you know, like a gunshot or yeah. someone just like threw a rock in the water or something like that. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, it's, it's freaky. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. anyway, you can continue with your, with your story. Um, yeah. But, uh, other than that, like usually, you know, midsummer, like June, July is kind of you know, what most people think about is like the best time for mousing. And that's probably when I like to go out to. Um, yeah, it's just a, it's a, it's a fun way to kind of add something new to, to fly fishing. Um, it's, it's a big challenge because you're going out there in the middle of the night, you know, usually the best nights are the, the darkest nights. So then you have even less coordination <laughs> and you're kind of, kind of using all your senses because your eyes are very compromised. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's just a lot of fun. Um, take some practice to to kind of get your casting down, and you kind of need to know the spot you're going to a, a little bit in order to in order to do okay there. You know, kind of safety wise, and just knowing like where you can and where you shouldn't cast, as far as like casting lanes and the water itself. What are you looking for when you're looking for a, like an appropriate place to go mousing? Because I usually think of just like meadow meadow streams with some undercut banks that can hold larger fish that might not come out during the day. But um, what are you looking for and how do you know like this is a good spot to to throw one? Yeah, uh, well, definitely, definitely those meadow streams just because, I mean, walking around during the daytime, you see mice kind of scurrying around all mm-hmm. over the place. So obviously, you know, a big brown would come up and eat one of those. Um, a lot of times, you know, in the, in the Midwest here, I'm kind of looking for big pools, um, looking for big fish as well. Um, a lot of times in some of these smaller streams, like a big fish might only have an area of, you know, like a 50 yard stretch, a stretch of stream and that fish isn't going to go too far and he's probably not going to eat, you know, too much. or He's going to be really tough to catch during the daytime. So you can actually like find a specific fish and then go fish for him. Um, when he's more apt to take a bigger presentation or, you know, big browns like the feet at night. So going, going for him at, at uh, mousing at night um, can be a good way to catch some big fish that you see during the daytime that you can't catch otherwise. Um, but yeah, looking for, looking for meadows, looking for big deep pools and looking for, you know, big fish specifically. So are you um, finding these big fish before you go? Like, are you, are you verifying, this creek holds big fish and I've seen them there or if everything else is right are you kind of hoping that there is a big fish lurking in there even if you maybe haven't seen them come out during the day uh definitely a little bit of both um you know obviously when you're when you're fishing especially streamer fishing you're gonna see a lot more big fish I feel like because you're gonna draw fish out Uh, but then you know kind of you can make a mental note of that make a mental note of you know oh he was in this pool you know next to this big tree or something like that mm. um but uh yeah um even the, even if you're not seeing the big fish though you know looking for those you know deep water um cover you know like cut banks and stuff like that um those are all really good things that you can you know think about when you're looking for a, a, a spot to go mousing and i've definitely i've i've mouse places that i haven't fished before um and done okay like it's it's surprising like when you're mousing you wouldn't think you'd be catching like a lot of small fish but just like streamer fishing like you'll catch some really tiny fish that are just like overly aggressive and hit a mouse on the surface <laughs> today's my day <laughs> yep exactly exactly 
so what's the walk me through the process like are you using a, a headlamp at night on like a red setting or are you just going blind and if either one how are you setting the hook are you just listening for it yeah so i usually i try not to use any light um, as much as possible so once i leave the car i have a headlamp on um in case something freaks me out or <laughs> or if i do hook a fish and you know i'm trying to net him uh but when i'm fishing um i try not to have any light um i've read different things that you know having a red light's not a bad thing or, um stuff like that i i don't know i don't really have experience either way just because i just don't use any light at all um and then when i am fishing it um, a lot of times you, you hear a lot more of the, the takes than you actually feel them because um, a fish will come up and like swipe at a, at a mouse and miss, but you'll just hear a big splash like where, where you think your fly should be. Um, but usually when the, the fish hits and you feel it, that's when they kind of make better contact. And then, you know, setting the hook, I'm not trying to like, you know, set it back. Like I'm setting with a nymph or a dry fly. I'm, I'm trying to do a strip set with that fly to, make sure I'm sticking them straight and not pulling the, pulling the mouse out. Cause they'll, they'll come back um, more than once a lot of times. So you'll like, you know, maybe the first time you'll hear them come up and smack at it and miss, and then you keep stripping it. And then all of a sudden they'll come up and hit it again. And that time you'll feel them and you can get a good hook set on them. Okay. And are you, are you stripping it in from the start too? Are you kind of giving it some motion as it, as it flows down or are you stripping it and letting it, sit for a bit or are you just dead drifting it or is it a little bit of everything yeah it's it's kind of like streamer fishing it's a little bit of everything okay. um and you know some nights again you can, you can strip it back as fast as you want and sometimes they're just smacking at it other nights you know really just letting that fly swing through um but i'd say what i found the most success with um usually fishing downstream and then i'm casting quartering to like the opposite bank and then um, mending my line upstream a little bit so the line, so the, the flow of the water isn't really, like, taking it down as much. Okay. And then I'm just kind of letting it swing and stripping just, like, little strips um, until it gets up to the, the bank on your side. And it's, it's crazy. You never really want to pull it out too early because a lot of the hits you'll get will be, like, right at your feet, right on the side of the bank. You know, I don't know if they think the, the mouse is kind of – swam across and he's about to scurry up back on the land or something but a lot of times it'll hit it like right at your feet yeah um almost like know. a pike or something exactly yeah right at the boat mouse figure eight <laughs> uh-huh uh-huh do you do yep. much pike fishing up there um yeah yeah quite a bit i've been i've been getting more into it on the fly um especially since it's something i can't do out in colorado and anytime i'm back here it's, it's a lot of fun to do pike and muskie Oh yeah. Okay. So you caught a muskie. Was it this past year? Was that your first one? Uh, that was my second one. Oh really? Okay. So actually, yeah. Right before I went to Colorado, my first summer, which would have been, would have been three years ago now, uh, or two years ago. Um, I caught, I caught one right before coming out to Colorado and then this past fall, um, caught one in, uh, October. I, um, I know this wasn't on our, uh, on our agenda, but what, what was the process like of it? I, think i saw you trying to fish for him for a while like that was a goal of yours yeah. you were going out every day trying to get one what was the process like is it was it really the fish of ten thousand casts or yeah it was it was probably up there <laughs> if it wasn't ten thousand, it was close um 
So where I'm from in Rochester, Minnesota, there's there isn't really too much musky water here. So I was actually um, going to Wisconsin and floating with one of my friends. Um, we're floating kind of a, you know, a medium-sized river out there. Um, but I think that was our that was our fourth float. Um, you know, probably four to six hour floats. So yeah, um, it was. I think man, it was almost like a full day's worth of like you know, actually fishing hours wise before we landed that one. And that was the first Mm -hmm. one out of the two of us that we landed. Did you hook Uh, any others? Um, I think my friend got a hook into one, but he never, he didn't really have it on. Okay. Um, yeah. So caught a couple pike and some smallmouth in that time frame, but other than that, it was, you know, we moved maybe five, six fish. So a lot of casting and a lot of, you know, a lot of not catching fish, <laughs> but it's so much fun. Yeah. Were you, what were you using that you were uh, catching like pike and smallmouth? What, like, was this while you were musky fishing for the same flies that you were using? Yep. Yep. Same flies. Um, so, you know, you're out there throwing the, like a 10 to 11 weight with like a full sinking line and throwing, uh, throwing big, uh, deer spun head flies that are anywhere from like eight to 12, 14 inches long. Um, and yeah, you'll get, you know, every now and then you'll get your aggressive smallmouth that'll come at it, but more, more often than even the muskie, you'll get some pike mm-hmm. and it's always kind of frustrating cause they look so similar, but you know, after you get it on, you kind of know pretty quick that it's a pike. It's like, oh <laughs> man, <laughs> cause you know, you're just looking for that, that, that muskie and when it's a pike, it's, it's almost a little bit of a disappointment. <laughs> I've, I've only landed one muskie and I wasn't fishing for muskie. I was fishing for smallmouth. Um, but it was uh, a different experience than a pike in that it was jumpy. Like it, it was coming oh, out yeah. of the water pretty often. I've never had a pike jump. Um, so that was quite the experience, but that was just on spin gear, you know, yep. bycatch, by even though it was super exciting, <laughs> but I think it'd be That's fun to cool. do on a fly. I just don't, I don't want to say I don't have the patience for it, but especially around here, I don't see myself giving up what's probably going to be an entire summer to try to catch a muskie in Colorado. Yeah. Yeah, they're definitely there, but yeah, they're they're a tough fish to catch. Yeah, I've heard the ones in Colorado are pretty tough too. I've never personally tried, but I you know, like talking to some many. guys. Yeah, there's not that many. They're kind of in specific places, and then yeah, they're just a wary fish in general. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, Do you think that's something that you'll like truly get into, or was that more of a like I want to do this, you know, in this specific time period, and and then I'm gonna give that up and go back to what I normally do. No, I th- I think that's 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 what I'm really gonna get into. Really? Um, yeah. To give yeah, up the trout. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> My game plan is the yeah, kind of live in the Midwest and uh, um, add a lot more warm water species to my uh, to my fly fishing. You know what I'm kind of going after, and muskies top of the list. It's it's a lot of fun, and you know, kind of like catching like a you know 25 inch brown trout that's like catching a 40 inch muskie or something like that just a really tough catch or tough fish to catch. Um, but yeah, I can see myself really getting into it. That's one of my biggest complaints about Colorado and don't get me wrong. I know it's a, it's a great place to, to enjoy fishing, but it it is kind of a monoculture of trout. Mm-hmm. You know, there's places down here that have warm water fish, but a lot of it seems kind of artificial. A lot of it's just stocked, you know, stocked fish in the ponds near nearby. Um, that's one thing I really miss about back East and sounds like where you are too, is there's just a lot more variety out there. 
Yep. Yep. But yeah, uh, Colorado's basically just trout, especially trout. in the mountains. Yeah, if you want to yeah. catch like a, a satisfying wild fish, it's probably going to be a trout. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and that's you know in the Midwest it's so cool because we got we got like a driftless area which is tons of spring-fed uh, trout creeks um, and some rivers, and that's really cool. But we got the whole warm water side of it too, where you know you can drive another 20 minutes and then you're on the Mississippi River, which has, I mean, it's like 170 different fish species, oh, <laughs> and it's awesome for bass and pike and yeah all that kind of stuff. And then drive a little bit further, you can get on some musky rivers and really cool, like smallmouth rivers and stuff like that. Yeah, a lot of variety. A lot, again, a lot more in like Colorado where it's like, you know, pretty much just trout and then, you know, some ponds that'll have your warm water fish. Yeah, there's yeah. just something that's not as appealing about being like a city park. Like I, I can go five yep. minutes from home and catch panfish and bass, which don't get me wrong, I really enjoy doing that. But there's just something different about being in a city park that has benches and goose poop everywhere versus being out in the middle of nowhere which is why yep. i feel like it's more of a trout state here because that's that's where you can catch trout is in those beautiful places so it's like well, i'll take that i don't care what i'm catching i'll take that any day exactly so it'd be nice to have more variety mm-hmm. so are you planning on staying in that area for you know the foreseeable future apart from your next summer out here yeah yeah i do um kind of like we were talking about earlier i, I plan to do one more summer in in colorado um and then uh, moving back to Minnesota, um, I, I have an engineering degree, so that's why I plan on getting an engineering <laughs> job here, hopefully. Again, you know, depending on what the economy is doing and stuff, right. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully. But, uh, yeah, I can see myself, you know, settling down in Minnesota. There's just such a – I love the state here. There's such a diversity of fisheries and other things to do. It doesn't quite have mountains, but – I think I can I can go with uh, with having the valleys down here and then the north woods, and have mountains. You know, when I take a trip out west. Sure. So, yeah. What do you think? Uh, I don't know if you have talked to everybody yet, but what's the upcoming summer look like with the whole coronavirus going on? Yeah, it's you know we're it sounds like we're going full steam ahead. Um, we actually just had a Zoom call uh, two days ago um with with joe and the whole crew <laughs> it was pretty fun um but yeah i mean it, it sounds like it's definitely slower already like we don't have the reservations filling out mm-hmm. like they normally do i think instead of like 20 we have like you know less than 10 or something like that right now so it'll definitely be slower and i'm okay with that <laughs> because i'd say, rather yeah. be out there fishing anyways the beauty of a summer job it's not it's not your full-time job that you're using to feed yourself I always remembered that, like, if, if someone wouldn't show up for a trip, I'd be like, well, you know, that's okay. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just go fishing. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, well, that's yeah. such a unique thing with Sasquatch, too. It's, it's, yeah, it's been awesome. It, yeah, just kind of a right. fun job. I'm sure it's different yep. for people who are full-time guides, but yeah, when it's just a summer gig, it's just kind mm-hmm. of a, a treat, and it's, it's also a treat if, you know, the trip doesn't go out and you can just go fishing. Exactly. Yep. And, uh, you know, kind of thinking, you know, as like a last summer, um, having a slower summer wouldn't be too bad. Yeah. Cause I got, a, I got a lot of, a lot of stuff planned for this summer. A lot yeah. of, a lot of fishing destinations. Care to share any? Uh, non- yeah. Spe- non-specific? I mean, what, what are your plans? 
Yeah, so non-specifically, I, I kind of broke out more into doing a lot of the alpine lakes, and I got some more on my list um, inside of Rocky Mountain National Park and outside of that. Um, it's really cool hiking back to those lakes. And we then, should talk, because uh, I've got a couple on my list, too. Maybe we can... You got a couple? Maybe can, yeah, maybe we can double up some and do a couple trips together or something. Sweet. Yeah, we're going to have to do that for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, other than that... Uh, spend a lot of time in uh even further like north colorado um i really like north park and kind of walden area and then uh southern wyoming too i think i, I think i worked it out with uh boss man joe that i'll have like two days off a week back to back so i can easily go drive three four hours into wyoming and mm-hmm. have some pretty good fishing or go the other way you know southern colorado too i did that a couple times last summer and there's some awesome, awesome rivers down there. It's so, amazing. I how, just plan on traveling. <laughs> yeah, as I say, it's it's amazing how quickly you can get away from the Colorado crowds just by going north or south, just off the I seventy two eighty five corridor. You get yep. you get out of that, and suddenly all the crowds that people complain about are just non existent. Exactly. Yeah, if you want to drive a little bit longer, it's totally worth it. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, uh, do you just want to end by, I know you, I don't know if you're still writing on it, but are, are you still active on your blog? And if so, do you want to talk about that at all? Yeah. Yeah. So I've been, uh, I've been writing a blog for a couple of years now called Trout Travels. Um, definitely had kind of a long <laughs> a dry spree in the middle there, but um, ever since like uh, beginning of this year, I've been pretty up to date on um, writing up kind of trip reports, like once a week. Um, I like just taking a lot of pictures and, you know, writing up on, uh, how those, how those trips went, um, almost more for myself, just so I can look back on it and, you know, kind of get a sense of where I was at that time and kind of, you know, think about what was going on that day. And maybe I can go out at maybe that similar time the next year and have similar success. Um, but yeah, I, I'm big into photography. So I take a lot of pictures and put them up on there and, yeah, basically just do uh, do trip reports like once a week or once every few weeks. Uh, it actually does remind me of something else I wanted to ask you. What Do you have any quick tips? Because uh, for someone who fishes alone a lot, you get some pretty good pictures of you with fish and of <laughs> just fish themselves. Like it, it, it seems like you've got a photographer yeah. following you around, but I know that a lot of the time you're just by yourself. Um, yeah. How do you do it? How do you get, how do you get the photos you get? Um, yeah, I've, I've been asked that quite a bit lately. Um, so I think a couple of the key things is having a nice camera. Um, I mean, honestly, you can take a lot of cool pictures on an iPhone too, but having a, having a DSLR camera is really nice, like a Canon or a, or a Nikon or something like that. And, you know, it's worth kind of lugging around a, a bigger camera to get some of these shots. Um, so having a nice camera is a big help. And then having a tripod is like crucial because, you know, I've done it before where you can just set up your camera on like a backpack or something like that, but it's really tough to get a stable shot and you really don't want to dunk your camera in the, in the river or lake. Especially if you're bringing the nice one. Especially if you're bringing the nice one. Exactly. But yeah, setting it up on a self timer and then, uh, you know, even just when you're taking the pictures, be really conscious of the fish still, you know, it's cool to get a cool picture, but it's not worth it if you're, you know, keeping the fish out of the water too long or, you know, strangling that fish to get the the perfect like pose or whatever. So I like to, I got a, I have one of the the mid-length uh, fish pond nets and okay. anytime I can, when I, you know, catch a bigger fish, I want to get a picture of, I try to try to 
push the back end of the net into like a bank or something like that and use that net as like a live well. So I just have the fish in the water. I get my stuff set up, you know, try to be as quick as I can. I don't, I don't think it's as bad when the fish is sitting in there, you know, it's not really doing much to them, but you know, then setting it up. So all I have to do is, you know, click the timer and then lift that fish up, um, get a cool picture, get them back in the water, you know, see what that picture looked like and then let them go. Um, so it takes some practice. Um, once you do it a few times though, it's pretty seamless and you can get some awesome pictures. How does the, uh, the focusing work with that setup? Because it, does it focus oh, yeah. <laughs> on you when you come up to the camera and press the button? Is it focusing on you, you know, one foot away and then you back up and you're out of focus it, you just hold the, the fish up to where it focus? Like, how do you deal with that? Yeah. So that's, that's actually even a bigger problem usually. <laughs> um, especially with the DSLRs. So what I like to do is um, I'll, I'll automatically or not automatically, but I'll, I'll set the focus to like a certain spot. Um, so, you know, maybe I'll, uh, I'll, I want to focus um, at like the beginning of my net or something, something you can pick out pretty easily. So what okay. I'll do is when you, um, when you're setting up the camera, if it has like a, a screen to it, you can set the focus to like where your hands at, make a mental note of like where that focus is at. And then you want to hold that fish. Um, so usually the fish's face is at that focal point and then it can kind of blur out from there to make a really nice looking kind of composed shot. Um, but yeah, that can definitely be one of the bigger issues is getting that focus right um, with the DSLR. And, you know, you get a couple of pictures that, you know, you're out of focus completely and doesn't look that good. And it's like, oh, what am I even, you know, doing out here? Right. <laughs> but yeah. So again, that just takes some practice. Um, and I, what I tell people is just get out there and take a bunch of pictures. You know, you're only going to get better if you, if you do it. So. Now, do you actually have uh, like a lot of experience changing the settings on the camera or are you just making sure that you get everything else right? So then you can just trust the the auto settings and, you know, even a DSLR on auto is going to look better than most phone pictures. Um, but I know that some people do swear by changing those settings and getting them just right for the lighting that day and things like that. Do you have any experience with that? Or are you just using auto? Um, for the most part, I'm using auto. Okay. Um, I've gone to manual and, you know, on certain, certain applications, you can get some really cool shots if you set like the, the aperture really low. So you get that really good blur, but for the most part, I'm shooting on auto because it's just kind of automatically changing up the, the brightness and, you know, all the ISO and stuff like that. Um, I think it usually gets just as good of a picture as you do with manual unless you're looking for something really specific. So especially if you're new to it, I just do it in auto. Or uh, in man, no, yeah, auto. <laughs> Do it in auto. I think it's pretty hard to mess up too. I think I think manual, and I don't I don't actually know anything about photography, like how to how to do the manual setup. But I feel like that matters more when you're taking some really, really like impressive landscape shots, and you're a professional photographer. But at the end of the day, most people looking at fish pictures are going to be like, "Wow, that's a big fish." They're not going to care, you know, if the settings are just a little bit off or something's a little bit out of focus. Yeah. Like they're just like, "Wow, that's a big fish." So. Um, exactly i doubt i doubt many people care you know most people yep. aren't, aren't photographers themselves mm -hmm. awesome well is there anything else that you uh particularly want to chat about i know uh we didn't get to tenkara but you know there's always <laughs> next time <laughs> yeah we can we can have a full discussion on that again um no not really awesome yeah, just fun talking about streamers yeah um what was the name of your blog again just so people can find it 
Yep, so troutravels.com. Perfect. All right, and that is all. As always, if you liked what you heard, I'd love for you to go over to Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to podcasts and subscribe there. Uh, If you've got a couple extra minutes, a rating or review would also be much appreciated. It doesn't take too long, and it makes a big difference on my end. You can also find all my episodes on fishuntamed.com in addition to fly fishing articles every two weeks. And you can find me on social media under my name, Katie Burgert, on Go Wild or at Fish Untamed on Instagram. And I will see you all back here in two weeks. Bye, everyone. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. One of the most legendary shows in the outdoors is on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Primo's Truth About Hunting, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.